you have God's word open to John chapter 5, it is, um, it, it's, a, it's an appropriate passage for us to look at <clears throat> this morning because it is a call to this, it is a call to today is the day of salvation. It is a call to this, that we don't know what tomorrow holds, that, that today is the day that we recognize who Christ is and respond to that call. Now, I got to imagine that every generation has a season where, where, where they think this is the worst the world has ever been. Like, I, I, you just kind of look back over the, each generation. Every generation has this whole thing like, oh, for sure Jesus is coming back today because this is the worst it's ever been. And it was in the 1940s when C.S. Lewis was asked to give this series of talks on uh, BBC Radio. And in those years, the world was in chaos because World War I had just ended just a short time ago. And it was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. And now, in the 1940s, they're in the middle of the chaos of World War II. And people are asking, is there any hope? C.S. Lewis, his, his talks that he gave at, at, on, the, on the radio in that series became a book called Mere Christianity or, or Basic Christianity. And it became one of the most influential books of the 20th century. And, and he unpacks so much in these talks and in that book. But one of them, one of the most important subjects he unpacks is what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's this question, who is Jesus? Because the answer to that question, it really, truly does change everything. If, if Jesus is who he says he is, then, then the chaos of our world is seen in such a different light. If he really is as he says he is, then that, that old song, he's got the whole world in his hands, is true. And, and those hands that he holds this world in, those nail-scarred hands display this never-stopping, life-changing, unimaginable love that we're safe and secure in the scarred hands of Jesus. That in the difficulties of life, whether it's, it's world news that we see that's in chaos, or whether it's personal struggles or, or, or heart-wrenching tragedies, that we can know Jesus, and knowing Jesus changes everything. Who is Jesus is the most important question that anyone can ever ask. So in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he says it this way. He says this. <clears throat> he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Josh McDowell, in his book, More Than a Carpenter, he summed up Lewis's statements with this statement. He said this, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And this is a decision that everyone needs to make. We, we can't just say Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was such a nice guy. Jesus made claims about himself. We're going to read this morning, and we have to decide, what do we do with these claims? 
John's whole point of writing this eyewitness account of Jesus' life, he, he says in John 20, 31, it's this, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing on him, you would have life in his name. And so let me catch you up as we jump into John chapter 5. We're going to start in, in, in verse 18, the, the first part of John 5. You remember that Jesus had just healed this man. He'd been lame for 32 years, couldn't walk, paralyzed for 32 years. Jesus heals him, but he does it on the Sabbath. And Jewish leaders weren't having anything to do with that. That's breaking one of their little man-made rules about what you're allowed to do on the Sabbath. And, and they're like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to break our Sabbath rules? Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus, in this moment, he, he opens this door that's going to open up this conflict between him and the religious leaders. Eventually, it's going to lead him to the cross to be executed because here, Jesus says boldly, I am God the Son. So was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Or was he the Lord? Jesus speaks so clearly in this text of who he is. Look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Like, he's saying this is important. Whenever you see truly, truly, that's like, listen up. This is key. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only that what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing that we see about who is this Jesus. Jesus is equal with God the Father. Jesus is equal with God the Father. He's saying, I see the Father do things you don't see. I, I have access to him because he's my Father that you don't have access to. He's saying, I've got this relationship with God the Father that you don't have. I'm of the same essence as the Father. We would say it this way, he's God in the flesh. The incarnate God. He says, I do whatever my Father does. We, we work together. We do the same things. Now imagine you're a first century Pharisee and you're hearing this carpenter's son, this Jesus of Nazareth saying, hey, I do what the Father does. I see what the Father sees. You would think, what? He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or, or what if he actually really is the Son of God? And John was already making the case for this in John chapter 1, right? Where he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. If you're, if you're not yet a Christian, you need to know that one of the central tenets of the Christian faith is this, that we believe Jesus of Nazareth wasn't just a man, he was God the Son. Verse 20, Jesus goes on. He says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Here's our second point. Jesus is loved by the Father. Who is Jesus? He, he's loved by the Father. I mean, love is at the central theme of what it means to, to follow Jesus, right? Scripture calls us, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself. And so as Christians, listen, our lives should be marked by love. Why? Why? Because the Father 
the Son and the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Trinity, the triune God, had the three in one operate in love for each other. The, this love they have for each other is how in the midst of their diversity, because they're, they're separate but one, they have different roles, but it's love that maintains that unity of the three in one. Listen, for us as a church, it, it's why as a church that across this room, the, the diversity represented here, the differences of opinions and way we do life, there's love that can bring us together. Why? Why does love bring a church together? Because that is the heart of what God's like. So Christian, let me ask you this. How is that love being displayed in your life? What's this look like over the last number of weeks? As you resolve conflict, in your speech to people, how you talk, how you talk about people, in your patience, in your kindness, are you marked by love? I mean, this is such a light that we can shine in our culture right now that is going so in the opposite direction of that kind of love, isn't it? Like we, we, we live in a culture, the sound of our culture right now is outrage and anger and, and cynicism and division and attack and criticism and complaint. That's what our culture is right now. And followers of Jesus are meant to what? To, to display something so different than that, something so real, something so powerful that we can display the very heart of God. We can display the very core of the gospel, that Christians who are so in awe, so thankful that, that, that God would have poured out love on us while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God. Like, how could we sit there so calm about something like that? How could we ever act in something that isn't love when we recognize what God's done for us, that while we're his enemy, Christ died for us? He raised again to conquer sin and death, to make us, listen, to make us not just friends with God, but family. Look what Jesus says at the end of verse 20, though. He says, and greater things am I going to do. I'm going to do things that, that you're going to marvel at. I mean, he's saying I'm equal to God. I, I see him doing things you don't see. I, 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 I'm doing his work. I mean, he says, I'm, I'm going to do even greater works than you've already seen. Listen, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's the Lord. And what greater things is he going to do? Look at verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Who else is Jesus? Jesus is the giver of life. He's the giver of life. He, he's saying, I have the same power as God the Father to give life. And listen, at the end of January, we're going to be rolling into John chapter 11, where Jesus steps up to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, who was dead, walks out alive. He's not just saying he's the God who gives life. He actually gives life. Do you know in that moment when he does that miracle, that it's there that the Pharisees say, okay, now we've got to kill him. Why? Why? Because he's not just talking about it. He's doing it. What we saw in the baptism testimonies this morning, what was that? That was over and over again, a testimony of, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Jesus gives new life to all those who trust in him. That where you're dead in sin, where you're dead spiritually, you're raised to new life in this relationship with Jesus. It's a life now, a new life that can heal deep shame. It can restore brokenness and ruin. It can bring hope where there was despair. It can deliver from oppression. It can bring real comfort in deep trials. 
And if you don't know Jesus this morning, this is a new life you can have today. When Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come to give life and life more abundantly, overflowing life, deep life, weighty life, joyful life. We were made for this life, that Jesus brings that peace and joy of being in this real relationship with God. That's new life. Here's the deal. Every one of us is born once. Some will be born twice and only die once. Some will be only born once and die twice a physical death and a spiritual death. But being born twice, when you're born physically and then born again to Christ, now you don't experience spiritual death. You're with Christ forever. Jesus is the giver of life. Here's the last thing that we see about who Jesus is. Jesus is the eternal judge. Jesus is the eternal judge. This is so important here. Look at what he says in verse 22. It says, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, those listening would be so shocked by this. They wouldn't argue that God can be the judge. God's the creator. He has the right and the authority to be the judge. But Jesus just said here, no, no, I'm the judge. And as as this eternal judge, look at his authority. Look at verse 24. He says, truly, truly, he says, listen up, this is so important. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him the authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Son of man, this this title from the book of Daniel that says he he is in charge. This is verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. what What an astonishing thing for Jesus to say. He says, he says, I come to bring life, and I'm the judge of that. And he says, those, those whose lives demonstrate life. Now, now, don't get confused at the end there. It says those who have done good. It's not about works. He's saying, because earlier he said, those who have trusted in me. So your works are this display. Your works don't save you. But if you have Jesus as your Savior and Lord, your life is going to be going in a totally different direction with Jesus. If you, if you claim Jesus, listen, if you claim Jesus but the consistent pattern of your life is going in a different direction. Do you really know Jesus? I'm not saying that we need to be perfect, but I mean, this room is a room full of messed up people. Can we agree at that, right? Right. But are you walking in repentance and humility and treasuring Jesus above all else? And the reality of judgment and eternity all comes down to Jesus. He's saying, I am the judge. It comes down to answering this question, who do you say Jesus is? If he's Lord, then listen, we live like he's Lord. And and maybe for you today as a Christ follower, that maybe today is the day that you stand firm in the faith that you profess, that that you believe in, and you say, no, no, Christ is my king. My life is his. If you're not yet a Christ follower today, Listen, the entire world will stand before Jesus as judge and they'll give an account. 
And, and on that day, the only thing you will have in your defense as you stand before Christ as judge is this, Jesus, in my life, I trusted you. I have no defense but you. I've proclaimed that you're not a liar, you're not a lunatic, you're the Lord. And, and in that moment, standing before Jesus, you either have the, the amazing covering of his grace, or by rejecting him in this life, you're under his judgment on that day. And listen, in that moment, it's too late. It's, it's why John writes this eyewitness account. It's why I'm preaching this morning. It's what we're wanting to, to, to know and what, what people are even praying for you if you're here and you don't know Christ. That John wants you to know who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that Jesus is really the Messiah, that he really came to die on a cross for your sins, that he really rose from the grave on the third day, that he really is. There, there is an opportunity for forgiveness and a time to believe that you really can decide that today. That he's not a liar, that he's not a lunatic, that he's Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus and you put your trust in that truth, the gospel should make your heart full of joy cry out, yes, he is Lord. The, the foundational truth about who you are, what, what your whole life is about, how you relate to the creator of the universe, it's been settled. If you put your faith, your trust, if you've leaned your life into the person and work of Jesus Christ, listen, you've moved from death to life. That God in Christ made you worthy. You didn't work your way to this. That, that Jesus did the work to redeem, to rescue, to restore, to ransom. That, that he took your shame and your unworthiness on himself. That, that in the moment, that moment on the cross, that, that the judge came under judgment. Jesus standing in our place for us to have this new life. Listen, as, as Christmas draws closer... Listen, the angels didn't sing for joy, for unto you is born this day a religious system of duties and behaviors to perform that'll hopefully get you into heaven. That's a horrible Christmas carol, by the way, right? No, they said, for unto you is born this day a savior, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, king of kings. Now quickly, as we wrap up this morning, I love that Jesus doesn't just stop there. He gets at those listening to him saying all this. will be saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. Who do you think you are to say all this stuff? I think all of us have had this experience, or maybe as a parent, you, you've, you've done this, where, where a kid asks for something that is so out of bounds, right? Hey, can I just eat all my Halloween candy all at once right now? Hey, can I, can I stay up all night and watch TV? Hey, 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 Dad, can I, can I date that Hell's Angels guy? He's super nice. And parents are like, yeah, no, you can't. And, and the kid's response is what? Why not? And there comes this place where, where, as a parent, right, you run out of all patience and all wise words, and we roll out the classic, and you probably said it. If you're a parent, what do you say? Because I said so. Now, here in John, you have the religious leaders going after Jesus. They're challenging him, and if anyone has the right to say, because I said so, it's Jesus, the Messiah, God the Son, the creator of the universe, like, but wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus, you're saying you're equal with God. Correct, yes. Yes, that's, that is what I'm saying. But, but he doesn't just say, because I said so. Here for the rest of this chapter, he brings these witnesses. 
witnesses that testify that Jesus is Lord. So, so picture this courtroom scene where the Pharisees are, sa- are on the one side and they're saying, Jesus, you, you're speaking blasphemy. There's no way this is true. And, and Jesus, okay, okay, okay. If you, if you say that, let me call some witnesses to the stand. Look at verse 30. He says, I could do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. He's saying, I'm not going to say this on my own. I'm going to bring some witnesses. And so what's he say? Verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John that, you said, sent to John that he, was, he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to receive for a while in his light. Rejoice for a while in his light. So so here's John the Baptist, his first witness. I call John the Baptist to the stand. John the Baptist comes up there. It's been 400 years. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, it had been 400 years without a prophet. And so out steps John the Baptist in his cool camel robes and his weird diet, and they're like, We got a prophet! And it says, for a time, you guys love this guy. Until, well, I mean, what did John the Baptist do, right? He called the religious leaders, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. And then he pointed them to Jesus. His, his whole mission was to be this lamp, Jesus says, that pointed to, to fulfill Psalm 132, to fulfill the prophecy of Malachi, that one would come to shine the light before the horn of David, that one would come to say, here's the coming king. And Jesus says, okay, that's my witness. Then he adds that. He goes, you know what, I got another witness. John steps out of the dock and in comes another witness. Look at verse 36. He says, but the testimony I have is greater than that of John. So John's a great one. He says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. He goes, my works are my testimony. No wine? Give me some water. I'll make the best wine you've ever had. Your son is dying. I don't need to go to where he is. Listen, I can say the word right now. Your son is healed. Lame for 32 years? Get up and walk. You're healed. And and so many more miracles to come. But even just those there, as he's talking to these guys here, he's saying, listen, these are the miracles. And the miracles aren't just an end of themselves or this window opening up into what does the kingdom of God look like? And, And the miracles also, as Jesus says here, they validate who he was, God the Son, He's got his works up on the witness stand and they're saying, who else can do these things? It's the Messiah. And you'd think, case closed. Like, like seriously, like, let's, just, let's leave the courtroom. We're done, but Jesus keeps going. And he's like, listen, listen, you say I'm blaspheming against God here. Okay, here, here's my next witness. I'm gonna call God the Father to the stand. Like Jesus would have been an awesome lawyer, right? This is the what moment. Look at verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He says, not only does John witness about me, not only do my works and miracles witness about me, the Father witnesses about me. At Jesus' baptism, it was the father who said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he's telling these Jewish leaders, if you don't believe in me, you're calling God a liar. And you don't believe in me, what's he say? Because God's word doesn't abide in you. You've missed it all. In fact, right on the heels of God the father as his witness, he calls up his fourth witness. Look at 
the word of God. Look at verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. He's saying to these religious leaders, you study the word, you memorize it, you read it, you have it on your bumper stickers, you have it on your coffee mugs, you put it up on your Instagram posts, but you miss that the whole thing's about me. I mean, look look at verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He's saying, listen, my word, the God's word is my testimony. He goes, even Moses, the one who you guys, like Moses was these guys' hero. They're like, yeah, we love Moses. He's great, man. This is our guy. And, and he says, Moses, why don't you come up onto the stand and read your own words about who you say that I am? And, and I got to think when, they, when he brings up Moses, they'd be thinking, yeah, but he's our guy. And Moses gets up to the stand and he goes, I'm not your friend on this one. If you guys don't believe me, you don't believe what I wrote about. And, and Moses could pull out he, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And he would say, I was talking about Jesus. You start in Genesis. Genesis. In Genesis, Jesus is the one walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. He, he's the seed that would crush the serpent's head. He's the ark that would save us from God's wrath. He's the son of Abraham, the true Israel that would bless the nations. He's the only begotten son killed by the father for our behalf. He's the one betrayed who God turned it out for good. In Exodus, he's the unlikely savior for his people. He's the Passover lamb that was slain for the just judgment of God. He, he leads us from slavery to freedom. He's the bread of life. He's the rock that only needs to be struck once. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the tabernacle for us to enter the very presence of God. He's our new high priest who can relate to us as our advocate. He's the shepherd that leads a stubborn and broken people. You go to Leviticus. He became unclean so that we would be clean. He was kicked out of the camp so we could be brought in. He's the final atonement for the sins of the world. You go to Numbers. He counts our names and knows them. You hit Deuteronomy. He's the sovereign king over every nation. He's our refuge from our enemies. He's our righteous judge. He's a prophet to come that's better than Moses. And that's just Moses' writings. This whole book is about Jesus. I mean, I pray this, that we would not be like the Jewish leaders, that we would read this and miss the point, that we would, we would be people who are studying the scriptures and completely miss Jesus. We can get our heads so buried in this like the Jewish leaders. Verses all over our house, all over our social media, but not growing and displaying our affection, our love for Jesus. I'm not saying don't be in the word. Let's be people of the word. Get in the word. But listen, listen, let the word get into you as well. Be changed because you see Jesus. This Bible is a window for us to see Jesus. I love how John Piper said it. He says, I love my Bible like I love my eyes, not because my eyes are lovely, but because they help me see what's lovely. If you read this Bible without Jesus, it becomes a weapon for you to wield against people, to judge. It becomes something to bring shame. If you read the Bible as a checklist, it becomes this badge, right? I've read four chapters today. I'm even ahead on my Bible reading plan. I'll just post that on Facebook because I'm pretty awesome, right? The Bible's goal is to transform us so we become more like Jesus, so we actually become witnesses ourselves. Don't you love that in Acts 1.8? You will be my witnesses. 
How? Because God's word transforms us because we savor and love and treasure Jesus so that we now begin to show the beauty of Christ to others as we live our lives, not perfectly, but we live our lives dependent on, leaning on Jesus. If, if you read this Bible without Jesus, you become a self-righteous version of you. But if you read this Bible with Jesus, you become like Jesus. That's the whole goal of God's word is for us to see and savor and love forever Jesus. As the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, listen, if you don't know Jesus, one day you're going to stand before him. And you're going to stand before him as judge. And, and the time to reckon with who he is is now. You can spend your whole life calling Jesus a liar or a lunatic, but you will stand before him as judge. Or, or listen, or today you can call on him as Lord. And so the invitation for you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if, if what I'm saying is resonating with, with you and, and stirring your heart, then why not believe today? Why not come to Jesus today? Listen, today is the day of salvation. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You can lean into him and listen, today he will have you. You put your faith in Christ. Listen, he can handle your doubts. He, he, he can handle your questions and your concerns and your accusations. But, but you come to that place where you simply say in your heart, Lord, I believe you are the son of God. I trust you for the forgiveness of my sins. I want you to come and take over my life. Listen, if you believe in that and you're trusting in that, that's how people move from death to life, from being eternally separated from God forever to being in relationship with him as your heavenly father. Now, if you know Jesus already this morning, let me ask you this. Do you have the joy of that salvation? Or have you just gotten so used to gospel truth so used to the good news that, that worship is just singing, coming to church, I just hear some guy talk. Maybe you take some time this morning to say to the Lord, Lord, would you enlarge my view of you? Would you show me who you are more today? Would you renew the joy of my salvation? We worship and we sing because we're forgiven. And we never want to forget what Jesus saved us from. And, and we, we want to live our lives to display this love and this grace. So I'm going to ask you right now, would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you this. Would you, would you, would you stand? Would you, would you sing with, with hands raised, voices loud? Why? Because you've decided this morning that Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is not a lunatic. But Jesus is my Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.